0: Want to finish a sermon series that started nearly two months ago. And so if you're just uh, here this morning, if this is your first time visiting us, if you have not been part of the last two months, uh, it'll be difficult, I guess, to step in on the last sermon of a sermon series and really get the impact of it. Um, I do believe God has something for each and every one of us here this morning But I have been preaching a sermon series titled, The Heart of Kings. And we have been looking at the first two kings that Israel ever knew. That being King Saul and then King David. We have looked at the ups and downs of being the king of God's kingdom. We have talked at length over the last two months about the reality that God wants each of His children to reign as kings and queens, as princes and princesses. That God has a royal plan for each and every one of us. But we must learn to tame the king in our own hearts. We must learn to have a heart after God as David and not a selfish heart as King Saul had. This morning I want to look and finish with really a tragic moment in the kingdom of David when his son tries to take the throne from his father and see what we can learn from it this morning. Rarely do I use uh, another author's work in sermon preparation, but this morning, as I deal with Absalom, I'm going to be using three chapters from a book titled the store, A Tale of Three Kings by Gene Edwards. And uh, in his, his um, perception and understanding of Absalom, is one of the greatest commentaries I've ever read. And so I just wanted to acknowledge this morning uh, how much uh, the work of Gene Edwards in his book, A Tale of Three Kings, uh, has helped me uh, put together this morning's sermon. Let's look. I'm just going to read six verses. And we'll get started this morning, verses 1 through 6, because I am reading a specific six verses this morning. Would you please stand in the honor of the reading of the Word of God? Second Samuel chapter 15, verses 1 through 6, say this, After this it happened that Absalom provided himself with chariots and horses, and fifty men to run before him. Now Absalom would rise early and stand beside the way to the gate. So it was whenever anyone who had a lawsuit came to the king for a decision, that Absalom would call to him and say, What city are you from? And he would say, Your servant is from such and such a tribe of Israel. Then Absalom would say to him, Look, your case is good and right. But there is no deputy of the king to hear you. Moreover, Absalom would say, Oh, that I were made judge in the land. And everybody who has any suit or cause would come to me. Then I would give him justice. And so it was, whenever anyone came near to bow down to him, that he would put out his hand and take him and kiss him. In this manner, Absalom acted toward all Israel who came to the king for judgment. So Absalom stole the hearts of the men of Israel. Let us pray. Lord, we are grateful to come together and worship You. We pray that our worship has been in spirit and in truth. We pray that You, the one true God of heaven and earth, have been honored this morning already in our meeting. Lord, I pray that now that You would anoint me with the unction of heaven God, to communicate Your Word in the way You want to communicate it. God, I pray for the anointing of heaven that You would help our hearts to hear Your Word the way You want us to hear this morning. God, I pray that You would be exalted. Lord, that sinners would be saved. That lives would be changed. God, that Your people would be wiser. God, that through it all, You would be lifted up. God, again, I ask for your anointing. I pray for the unction. I acknowledge the needing for it. God, come at this moment and have your way. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Before I really get into the text, what I want to do is give you the story. There you go. All right. I want to give you the story of what happens here, rather than reading the next four chapters. I'm really going to be preaching through four chapters. But as we see, Absalom has stole the hearts of the men of Israel. We take that, thank you. Absalom has stole the hearts of the people of Israel. And what happens is, Absalom convinces many of the citizens of Israel to come together and rebel against his father, David. Absalom was the son of King David. And they end up rebelling, David and his servants and those who are faithful to David. They leave Israel. They leave Jerusalem. They leave uh, the king's palace. And they retreat for a time. And if you know the story, we're going to see before it's done Absalom dies on the battlefield, and the kingdom is restored to David. But I want to, this morning I want to deal with, as we did this study of the hearts of kings. We have studied David, and we have watched that David won the hearts of the people, that David took out Goliath when nobody else would, that David was willing to live in humility and humbleness in caves for nearly ten years while he awaited the fulfillment of God's promise in his life. That after Saul was slain on the battlefield, not by David, but uh, by the Philistines, that David uh, was instituted to the throne. We've watched that David's kingdom rose to be a great kingdom. We watched the kindness of David and his love for Mephibosheth uh, a few weeks back. Last week we looked at David's mighty men and we saw that there was a great kingdom that was united together for the purpose of bringing glory to God for the purpose of of setting up a kingdom on earth uh, where God's name was exalted and lifted up, where the Jewish people could worship God in freedom, where, where God was ultimately glorified. And this took place. And so I asked the question this morning, with all of that having occurred by this stage in time, how in the world does David's son convince the people of Israel who have known the life of David, who have watched David's upbringing from his youth with their own eyes, who have been protected and delivered by David for years, nearly 30 years. How does David's son gather those people together and unite them in rebellion against David? See, this is a very important thing that we understand this morning. Can I confess to you quickly, I thought about mentioning this in the introduction. I've been conflicted in it. I'm just going to say it. I almost X this sermon, and I've had a lot of trouble preparing for this sermon because I know that I need the anointing of God from heaven to communicate it, that it can be understood. And in all of the study, this is a very, very important sermon that that we're finishing with. And so, I pray that God will give you ears to hear this morning, and I encourage you to to pray and ask God to help you receive His Word this morning. Because it's an interesting question. How does does the king's son pull together the multitude to overthrow his own father? Because that's what's happened. First of all, let's let's try to enter into that moment. Let's, Let's try to enter into... The life of Absalom. One of the things I'm going to submit to you this morning is that this had been burning in Absalom's heart for years. This was not just some random happenstance. Though it looked that way to the people, for years Absalom had rebellion in his heart. For years Absalom had plotted exactly how he could overthrow and take the kingdom himself for years he had watched closely his father. He had watched how his father had won the hearts of people. He had watched how his father had gained the people's respect. And he had plotted carefully and intentionally, how can I find a way to take that from him without making it look like I'm disrespecting my father? The Bible tells us that he would rise early and stand beside the way of the gate. So it was that when anyone who had a lawsuit came, Absalom would be there. Absalom made sure that he was in the position that no matter what the need was, no matter what the complaint was, listen to me now. And I just again say, God help me. Absalom put himself in the position that no matter what the complaint was, he was the first to hear it. Absalom put himself in the position to make sure that that when there was a problem, that when someone was dissatisfied with something, he was the first person they'd come to. And our text tells us here, he didn't say anything negative about his father. He didn't say anything negative necessarily about the kingdom, but he just secretly began to deal with people's problems and not let them go through the proper avenue. He was stealing the hearts of the people. Notice the Bible uses that word the hearts of the people. Can I say men like Absalom, they're thieves. So how in the world does Absalom get to this place? We have to enter into the, the, the people, right? Let's deal with the people and Absalom and try to do this at the same time. These people come with their problems. They come with their complaints. It warmed their hearts to hear these words. What did Absalom say? Your case is good and right. It warmed their hearts to have an Absalom come and say, You're right. You should be upset. You should be furious. But you're a man of integrity, I can tell. That's why you're not as mad as you should be. That's why you're not so angry, because even though you have a right to be, you have a good case. And he begin to appeal to their fleshly nature, he began to appeal to their problems. And it would seem to the people that Absalom was greatly discerning. He was just the one that understood what no one else could. When everybody else said, look, it's a petty thing. We've all got problems. Uh, You know, it's not worth making a fuss over. Absalom said, well, now you've got a point there. You've got a great point there. And, and as they talked with him, they began to realize themselves that they were much wiser than they ever thought. Absalom had that, that canny ability to make them feel as if they had been oppressed all this time. And they were under some tyrant. And there was this great problem that nobody was really willing to speak about. But Absalom sat and he listened. They discussed problem after problem. As the long days would unfold, they would all gather and begin to find out, oh, there's lots of problems. There's lots of issues in the kingdom. You've got a problem? Well, I've got a problem too. Did you hear about so-and-so's problem? We've got all these problems. And Absalom would sit and look noble and look wise. He would just nod. Never actually coming out and saying anything negative about the current king. Never actually saying anything negative about the kingdom as the people knew it, but certainly acknowledging that there was a problem. Imposing to be insightful and discerning. Convincing the people that Absalom was far too humble to have to do anything about it. But I'm telling you, deep in his heart, his plan was being worked. The more they sat and talked, the more they realized things were broken. Be careful to sit and talk with people like that this morning, friends. Be careful. There's Absaloms everywhere. And I'll be honest this morning, there's, there's an Absalom in every one of our hearts at some stage in time. If we're not careful, that old flesh nature will rise up. But problems seem to come to light that nobody had ever dreamed of. Have you ever noticed that? Can I just be honest this morning? We're talking here about the Word of God, God's people, the Kingdom of God. I've noticed in my 14 years of Christianity and being saved and serving God that people that that the absolute of the world, you get them together for an hour and a half and you'll find out the problem's greater than you ever thought. You let them continue to converse for weeks at their secret dinner meetings, at their secret prayer request meetings, as they share the need, as Absalom did, and pretend they're just concerned for the kingdom. Before long, you'd be surprised how terrible it is. You'd think the world was going to cave in. You're wondering, how in the world has God not struck the place down already? The only explanation we have is the mercy and grace of God. All the while, there's this false, devilish, uh, counterfeit of righteousness that they think they're whipping up in themselves and eventually somebody's praying for a plan to somehow deal with these injustices and somehow step in and do humbly what nobody else can. This is how Absalom turned a nation to himself. Ideas turned into stories. Stories of injustice that others might have deemed trivial. But not so with Absalom. He was compassionate. He had discernment that no one else did. He was the kind of man that would close every conversation about this. They talk about all that's wrong. They, they 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 complain unchecked. They just spew all of their problems and things that need change and then they close. He, he's the type of man closed with a statement like this. But we're not in his shoes. So let's not judge. I'm trying to pretend he's humble, noble, implying in the statement. Uh, we're not in His shoes, but secretly the intention is there, but we should be. Things would be better if we were. I, He said, "Oh, that I were judge. He finally speaks. So, oh, if I was king, if I was in my father's position. I would right all of these wrongs. Finally, his followers, which he would claim he had none. But finally his followers, followers who he has appealed to, who he has manipulated who He has tried to make think He cared about them, all for the real purpose of elevating Himself to where He wanted to go. Be careful of people who try to build alliances. who try to get you on their side. Understand something about the Kingdom of God. I'm getting a hold of ahead of myself. There's no sides on the Kingdom of God. There's not. The Kingdom of God is in unity. How, how pleasant it is and wonderful when, when uh, the church, when brethren dwell in unity. There are no sides. There shouldn't be sides. We are one body, one church, one spirit, bought with the same blood. Will there be uh, disagreements? Of course there will. But disagreements don't have to turn into divisions. Disagreements don't have to turn into sides. Be very cautious of people. Who try to build alliances. Finally, the people were livid. They wanted justice. They had talked this thing out to no end. They had had meeting after meeting. They had heard him say enough times, well, here's how I would handle it. But I'm not in charge. And who am I to say I should be? I mean, this is God's territory here. And who are we to judge King David? We're not in his shoes. We we don't know everything he knows. They had heard it enough. Finally, they were livid. And they said, we want this man to be our king. And he said, as all Absalom's do, well, I don't really want to be king. But for God's sake, I guess I will. I've seen them. This is real stuff I'm talking about this morning. They exist. They're sneaky, conniving. And finally, He says, I will be your King. And with those words, the rebellion was ignited. In the hearts of all the people, they were unified together to rebel against God's King. In their hearts that day, the fire of rebellion came to life. But in Absalom's heart, that fire had burned for many, many years. And I tell you this morning, it takes extreme wisdom, discernment. To know the Absaloms from the Davids of the world. They look alike. They speak with great noble words. They seem to have great concern for the people of God and for the things of God. They seem to be humble. They make the same statements. But one statement is hollow and the other is true. David was a man after God's own heart. Absalom was a man after his own kingdom. They were as different as night and day. But to the undiscerning eye, and listen to me this morning, to the person with a problem they wanted someone else to fix, Absalom fared better than David. To the person who felt like they were not being heard, that their problems were being minimized, Absalom became their hero and the rebellion ignited. Can I say that I'm convinced as I've been think, I've actually thought on this particular sermon for months, I'd say 6 months. I'm convinced that some of what I just told you and some of what we just went through is the reason we have so many denominations in the church. And I'm not, I'm not, I'm not saying that to diminish a denomination. I'm not saying one denomination is more right than the other. But this happens in the church, and if we're not careful, it'll happen in ours. Brothers and sisters, we're human beings. We're still flesh and blood. We're not above reproach. We're not above falling. We're not above anything that anyone in the Word of God was not above. We must be cautious. We must be careful. And as I thought about this, I thought how divisive people can be. I know people that won't worship with other brothers and sisters based upon some real secondary issue that really has nothing to do with salvation. And and, and when you really pin them down on it, both of them will acknowledge, yes, that person is saved. And and the other person will say, well, that person is saved. But we're not going to come together and worship God together. Divisiveness can be crazy. I mean, it can rule us. We'll we'll take a molehill and turn it into a mountain. One of the problems with these types of people is that they don't really understand the way a kingdom works. They don't understand that in every kingdom there's problems. What Absalom didn't understand, first of all, Absalom died. His kingdom lasted about three days. But what Absalom did not understand was that had his kingdom succeeded, had his plan worked, like Saul's did. Saul's worked for a long time. Saul remained in the position of king in the eyes of the people for a long time after God said, You're not king anymore. What Absalom did not realize is that even if he did succeed in his plan, there's still going to be problems. What the people didn't realize, because this is what Absalom wanted to think. Absalom said, if I was judge, I'd take care of all this. And the people said, well, we want you to be judged then. But what happens when the rubber hits the road and Absalom can't keep his promises? What happens when the rubber hits the road and people find out? Life goes on. There is no such thing as a perfect kingdom. There is no such thing as a perfect church. There's no such thing as a perfect family. You take the most perfect family on earth, they still have problems. There's no such thing as a perfect marriage. You take the most perfect marriage on earth, there's still problems. There's still conflict. And when we get self-deceived, sometimes by ourselves, sometimes by somebody else, when we become deceived thinking, well, if we just change... The judge. I mean, he, we've listened to him speak at the gates for months. And this man has told us. He'll right the wrongs. Didn't he tell you that you were right about your problem and that he'd fix it? Yeah. Didn't he tell you the same thing? You were right about your problem and he fixed it? He told me the same thing. Didn't he tell you that you were right about your problem? You had every reason to be upset and that he'd fix it? Here's the one that's going to fix it all. Had Absalom risen to power, he wouldn't have fixed it all. And I promise you this. They would have found that their new king was ten times worse than the one they got rid of. And you know what would have happened then? Another Absalom would have risen up and there would have been more meetings at the gate. And the same thing plays itself out over and over and over again. And Absalom's way of handling those who had come against him would be to destroy them. Righting the wrongs always becomes secondary to the ascent to power. When somebody's hungry for power, when somebody's hungry for a position of authority, when somebody wants to get somewhere, be something, so bad, they're willing to do anything to get there. Writing what is wrong becomes secondary. If I can do it, great. If not, not. But there is no way he ever would have been able to keep his promises. At most, the Lord's people will follow a leader for a few years. They never support anyone very long. Generally, people do what they please. We see this about David. Man after God's own heart. We see this in the continual back and forth of the people of Israel. Only those that you will find that are faithful are those who truly have no false motives and desire to build the kingdom of God. You'll find that those who truly desire to build the kingdom of God, they will not be divisive. They won't be the ones who bring up problems at the dinner table after church. They won't be the ones who have the secret meetings with Absalom about how bad things are and how much better it'd be if someone else was in charge. Those who truly are concerned about building the kingdom of God are those who rather than having uh, talks with others about problems and, and instilling that poison in their hearts are those who will work to right the wrongs themselves, who will work to be peacemakers, who will come together and say if there's a problem, let's pray. And pray for real, for God's will, not for our will. I've heard people say about a leader, for example, that they that they um, weren't happy with, that they thought needed to change. Well, I'm praying for him. But really what they're praying is specifically that God opens his eyes to what they see. That God reveals to him how wrong he is. Forgetting that the way of every man is right in his own eyes. What if they're the one that's wrong? What if there's more to the picture than what they know? We should pray at all times for God's will to be done. That's the only thing that matters. And we're going to see that here in a moment with David. Who willingly steps away when he could stay and fight. David only cared about the will of God. David was willing to leave it in the hands of God. David was concerned, as Jesus, it's already been said once this morning, as Jesus was concerned with us while we were enemies. David was concerned for his own son, who had become an enemy of him. God's concerned with us this morning. Concerned for us. He loves us. And I'm telling you, when the heartbeat of Christ is what truly rules in our hearts, we won't be divisive. We will have a desire to restore. We will have a desire to see God lifted up. We will see a desire to see even those who we think have wronged us, even those who have done wrong, even those who we feel need to change what they need to something in their life. We will have an honest desire to see them restored. Our prayers will not be that God destroys them, or that God removes them, or that God gets rid of them, but that God changes what needs change in them. But the bottom line is this: there's no kingdom without discord. Beware of rebels. Rebels who ascend to the throne by rebellion have no patience for other rebels. Had Absalom ever become king and faced rebellion, he would have become a tyrant. Just like Saul. He ask the question, are not some rebellions necessary? Aren't there some things that have come out good as a result of people rebelling against power and authority? First of all, the answer is a very few. But the kingdom I'm talking about this morning works different than all other kingdoms. I'm not just talking about some earthly kingdom. We're talking about the kingdom of God. We're talking about the church which Jesus Christ bought with His precious blood. It's a spiritual kingdom. And especially... In the spiritual kingdom. Especially in God's kingdom. In the church. No rebellion in the kingdom of God is proper. Nor can it be. No rebellion in the kingdom of God is proper. It is a spiritual realm. And those who have rebellious hearts. Those who have tried to find ways to usurp authority and overthrow authority that God has laid out are in no position to ever be an authority. No matter how noble their words, no matter how pure their ways may seem, they have proven that they have a critical nature. That they have unprincipled character. And that they have hidden motives in their heart. Quite frankly, they're thieves. And the last word I want to deal with is the word thieves. As we look at this principle. It says that Absalom stole the hearts of the men of Israel. See, God never honors division in His realm. These thieves create dissatisfaction and tension. Or they at least feed into it. And then they either seize power or siphon off followers. Don't you find it curious that people who find themselves qualified to lead a rebellion. People who find themselves qualified. To start a division. Never find themselves qualified to just go start something new. They always just have to take from somebody else. They have to have some prepackaged followers to come along. It's a dangerous thing in the church to try to take people from another church. There are people here today who are members of our church who will tell you, They came from other churches. And then when they made me aware of that, I never, ever once in any way tried to influence their decision to come. There have been times in my own heart and through my own discernment, I was convinced it's probably going to be a better fit for them. They're going to grow here. Their kids are going to be able to be taught better here. It's just a better fit. Never let those words come out of my mouth. Not to them. I'm not going to influence somebody to leave something. I don't know. How do I know? I'm not God. I don't know the need. If I was asked for a show of hands, I'll promise you, there'd be over ten families here that would tell you, I made a make a similar statement to this. I'll pray that God shows you where He wants you to be. That's it. I'll pray that God shows you where He wants you to be. And you can rest assured that wherever that is, it will be good for you and it will be good for the church. Why do people feel like they have to siphon off followers of someone else? Church splits are a dangerous thing. Now, I want to say just for any of our visitors, there is nothing going on in our church. This is, this is, not, some, this is not some way of me dealing with anything going on in our church. This is part of the sermon series. This is, part, I, this, this is part of the life of Saul and David. We've been in here for two months. And I'm going to finish up with David here in just a moment. But it's necessary we understand these things, because this is a real thing. The devil comes to steal, kill, and destroy. If you want to look at one of the very first possible ways to know it's not of God, see if whoever's starting is trying to take people with him. When God called us to start this church, there wasn't anybody I went to. There wasn't nobody that I went to and said, hey, would you come? There was no promise that there would be three people who showed up. There was no me gathering together the troops to see if I felt like we had enough to make this thing happen. You've got to know that God called you to do it. And if you believe that God called you to do it, the willingness to go and stand alone and stand on God alone is good, strong evidence you're doing what you're doing for God. One of the biggest red flags you'll ever see when someone's trying to supposedly do something new, start a ministry, start this thing, start a church, whatever. Are they trying to take people away from something else in order to establish it? Beginning empty-handed and alone frightens the best of men, but it also speaks volumes of just how sure they are that God is with them. So the rebellion takes place. In verse 13, 14, and 15. A messenger comes to David and says, The hearts of men of Israel are with Absalom. So David said to all of his servants who were with him in Jerusalem, Arise and let us flee. I'm just going to stop there with that reading. I want you to notice David's quick response. Arise and let us flee. Now don't forget, we just studied it last week. David had mighty men with him. Here's a man... Himself, who had taken down Goliath. David, does, if you read the text, it tells us David said, Arise and let us flee so that in order that we don't get killed. But that does not insinuate that he believed he couldn't take out Absalom if he wanted to. He was just saying, I ain't going to fight my son. I'm not going to kill my own son. And David left. Some of them came and said, David, what do you want to do about Absalom? He's pursuing us. Here was David's words. Don't hurt the boy. Don't hurt him. Even if you have the chance. You see, it wasn't that David couldn't defeat Absalom. It wasn't that David was afraid of Absalom. It was that David said, when I was a young boy and Saul was king, I refused to be Absalom. And now that I'm old, And Absalom's after me. I refuse to be Saul. I was David when I was young. And I will be David when I die. David said, I did nothing to earn this kingdom. I did not fight for the throne. I did not destroy anyone for the throne. I will not throw spears. I will not be a character assassin. I did nothing to get here. And I will do nothing to stay here. If it's God's will, God will bring it to pass. And David knew this. No doubt, even people in David's life, as Joab argued with David when David was in the cave, and Joab said, why didn't you kill Saul? No doubt, men tried to say, David, it's your kingdom. God put you here. David said, I will not compromise for my kingdom. When you understand it's not your kingdom. Yeah, come on. When you understand you didn't put yourself on the throne. That's right. You don't have to fight for it. It's only when we become selfish. When we become fearful. When we, when we lose sight of the fact that if God is for us, who can be against us? And I, I want to say that all of us. All of us, at times in our life, when we feel threatened, the flesh says, just become Saul. You're king now. You aren't king then, David, but you are now. Pick up a spear and chuck it through that boy. Protect yourself. Jesus stood before the high priest on the night of his false trials. And they accused Him of all sorts of things. They mocked Him. They beat Him. They plucked the beard from His face. They beat Him senselessly, beyond recognition. Yet Jesus never fought back. It was as if Jesus' response was, If you think you must take My life to build your kingdom, then take it. But in the laying down of my life that you think you're destroying, my kingdom will still be built. God will still accomplish what God has purposed from the foundations of the earth. If God has called it to pass all the demons in hell, all the schemes of man, everything that this world could come against, it, it cannot stop it. When you get a hold of that, I'll tell you this, it it brings about the most blessed peace. It brings about such a peace that as king you can say, load up, we're leaving town. We're turning the kingdom over to Absalom. What comes of it, I don't know. But I will not become Saul. I will not assassinate another man's character to protect my own. I will not destroy another man's life to provide for my kingdom. But I will stand in my integrity at all times And if that leads me down the road, if it leads me back to the caves. I lived in the caves for 10 years. I know how to live there. God was faithful then. God was faithful when I was a boy. God has been faithful since I've been king. And God will be faithful on the other side. This is the attitude and the heart that must rule us as God's children. I'm going to close with this final thought this morning. This is what I want to try to somehow communicate. The whole point of everything. We've been studying the heart of Kings now for eight weeks. We have been studying the reality that God wants each of us as His sons and His daughters. If you are saved here this morning. If you have been born again. Repented of your sins. Placed your faith in Jesus Christ. He wants you to reign and to rule. Not the way this world rules. I don't mean to be incredibly wealthy and to have a bigger house than your neighbor and more cars than your neighbor. And and that's not what I'm talking about. I mean, able to reign and rule over the the, the 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 destruction of this world, over sin, sickness, and death. Over over to have joy unspeakable, to to be able to walk in peace that surpasses understanding, to be able to take authority in your life and in your own family and in the things that come against us, and say, "My God is for me." I will be a man or woman of integrity. I will not bend. I will not break. I will not bow because my God is for me. God wants you, each and every one of us to be able to walk that way. Can I say that when David left the kingdom, he still left with his head held high. He left because it was the right thing to do. He didn't leave in fear. He didn't leave sulking. He didn't leave kicking up the dust. He left thinking to himself, we know this because he prayed for it. He left thinking to myself, God, don't let anything happen to Absalom. That's what he was thinking. His warriors came. They said, what do you want us to do when we find him? He said, don't lay a hand on him." That's what he was thinking. But I'm telling you, he knew who he was in God. He knew who he was in Jesus. He was firm in his faith. And we as God's people, God wants us to be too. But in order for us to be great for God, In order for you to be great for God, you must determine and you must get it settled in the depth of your soul, I will not be Absalom and I will not be Saul. I will be David. Even if that means I'm confined to the caves. Even if it means I must leave my throne. Who cares what the world looks? The world might look on and think, "Oh, David, I thought you were some great king and you can't even overthrow your own boy. David said, it's not about me. This throne was not given to me to elevate my name in the earth. Everything that I've been given was for the purpose of building God's kingdom. I did nothing to obtain it and I will do nothing to hold on to it. I will stand in my integrity. I will stand in my faith in God. And wherever it leads, I'm willing to accept that. This mentality, i ask our worship team to come, this mentality should rule our hearts in the workplace. Sometimes we are influenced to be dishonest, to be deceitful in the workplace for the purpose of furthering our job or maybe getting a raise. Be careful of those who build alliances. I'm telling you, this is a principle that doesn't just apply to the church, it applies to everything in life. Be careful of those who just try to get you on your team. And part of that being on the team, part of being of that clique, means that you must think negative and speak negative and be divisive towards others. Settle it in your heart. I'm going to love people the way Jesus loves people. I'm going to love my enemies the way Jesus loved me. I'm going to be good to those people, everybody I come in contact with. Do good unto all people, especially those of the household of faith. Who's those of the household of faith? That's the church. Who's all people? That's those that don't aren't part of that, especially the household of faith. The Word of God says, do good unto all people. There's none you shouldn't do good to. Romans 12 says, you do good to those who are your enemies. You give them a something to drink when they're thirsty. You help them in their time of need. It's like putting hot coals on top of their head. I've got a purpose in my heart. I will not become Absalom. I will not destroy anybody to get to the place that I feel like I want to be. I've got a purpose in my heart. I'm not going to hang out with Absalom. I'm not going to listen to people who are constantly talking about problems all the time and how they'd fix them better. And and, and ultimately, there's this false motive in the heart where we want to overthrow something and change something. I'm going to leave that to God. I can't change people, I can't change Absalom. I can't change Saul. All I can deal is with my heart. And I'm going to be pure. And I'm going to be holy. And I'm going to be honest. And I'm going to be who God's called me to be. And I'm just going to trust God with wherever that leads. This morning I asked the question, are you saved? Talking about the kingdom of God. Talking about this morning some of the conflicts that we face in the kingdom of God. Talking about the church. But I asked the question first this morning, are you part of the church? I don't mean do you come to church. I don't mean have you been baptized. You can be baptized ten times and still not make it to heaven. A hundred times. Does Jesus have your heart this morning? Have you turned from sin, from yourself, from your own ways, and said, I repent? And now You'll be my God. I'll follow You, Lord Jesus. I'll obey Your rules, Lord Jesus. I'll love You, Lord Jesus. And ask Him to come into your life to empower you to serve Him and ask for the forgiveness of your sins. If you haven't did that, friend, Ron, this morning. There's nothing more important in your life, nothing more important in your life than being right with God. You were created by Him and for Him. That's why you exist. You'll never find purpose in life. You'll never find the reason you exist until you come to Jesus Christ. And if you haven't done that this morning, I encourage you to come. We have altars at the front of our church because we believe that you need to have a place if you want to come and respond and kneel and meet with God while God's dealing with your heart, you should have the ability to do that. And at the close of this service, if God has dealt with your heart in any way, if you need to be saved, I want to ask that you come. And If you need to be saved and you want to know that you're saved, I ask that you get me or Branson, this guy right here with the white shirt on. And let us know. We want to pray with you this morning. If you just want to come and kneel before God and get some things right in your heart as they sing a song of invitation, these altars are open. Father, finish your will this morning. Finish what you've started. Move in our hearts. Bless this time, God, of invitation. God, let us be willing to look the man in the mirror first and say, is there any Absalom in me? Is there any King Saul in me that I've just let run wild? God, forgive us if we have. Let us be like David, a man, after your own heart. So you thought you had to keep this up, all the work that you did.